91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Hello and welcome to the third series of Future Thinking. I'm your host, Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Selector. So far over the 20 episodes, we've covered the whole array of the human experience. Okay, that might be a bit lofty, but we have touched upon some big things. So what can you expect from the third time around? Already in this run, I've learned about the future of food, the ESG edge that Europe hopes to retain, how digital and tech are different things. I know, I didn't realize either. And what actually makes a decent future trend? So that's the one we're starting with. We've spoken to a futurologist in the shape of Tim de Jong before, but what about a trend spotter putting capital to work? Alex Guns runs the Hepticon Future Trends Fund and also authors the excellent Future Trends blog. This covers everything from the future of a meatless marketplace to the much discussed Hyperloop transport system and the medicinal magical world of mushrooms. In this 20 minute chat recorded in CityWire's new Voxel Studios, we scratched the surface and got a taste of things to come. If you like the podcast or have suggestions of themes or interviewees I could talk to, please get in touch. I'll put contact details in the show notes. In the meantime, welcome back and enjoy. Hello, and today I'm joined by Alex Guns of Hepton Capital, who's here because, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to spot, works on a future trends fund for the Future Thinking podcast. So that seems like the perfect guest. So thanks for joining us. That's an absolute pleasure, Chris. So as I said in the the conversation we had before we came on this covers a huge array future trends could be anything future thinking tries to capitalize on that as well by being able to go anywhere can we just jump in straight away i mean you you've talked about the idea of digital disruption or, or disruption in general finding its way into all parts of the economy where is that most prevalent at the moment and, and i suppose a key point is how do you capitalize on that it's a super interesting question chris and obviously just before i start to answer it thanks again for having me on this uh, show and i guess really the way i'd frame the whole discussion is really to think about it as follows you know i studied economics initially as an undergraduate or as part of my undergraduate degree and almost the first lesson you learn in economics is that it's about the efficient allocation of scarce resource so we've got in the world today an absolutely huge imbalance between demand and supply Think about it like this. We've got 8 billion people roughly on the planet today. Uh, By 2050, we'll have over 9 billion. By the end of this century, we could be pushing 11 billion. Those are crazy figures. At the same time, think about it like this. The available resource on this planet is shrinking, whether we're talking about uh, food to feed the world, water, energy, natural resources. We've also got extra stresses on the system, climate change being a really obvious one. And then think about a few separate dynamics, developed world, aging population, challenges uh, presented by that, emerging world, you've got an industrializing, uh, soon to become middle class population. And this is really where disruption has an absolutely crucial role to play. It's all about technology being an enabler, uh, allowing uh, the solutions or providing the solutions to solve these really big problems. How do you allocate scarce resource efficiently? So let's get into that then. So where are we seeing true disruption? I mean, you mentioned there technology seems to be the forefront of that. That seems to be where a lot of people focus. But they're reading your blog, your Future Trends blog. It can cover a whole array of things. So what sort of things are you looking at? And and any examples of what is new and exciting in that field as well? Sure. 
I mean, I think that the key way really to characterize it is just to be totally clear that the fund I manage, the Hepticon Future Trends Equity Fund, is quite explicitly pan-thematic. Uh, technology, you have to think of it as an enabler. It's a means to an end. And really, I say, look, we invest in everything from cloud to wind and from fish to chips. And to give you two really tangible examples of how disruption is changing every industry and making it more efficient, better, let me talk, number one, about wind and then number two about fish. And with wind, I'd say, look, you know, it's in some ways it's very simple. Uh, it's about having a turbine that generates uh, energy that gets fed into the grid and it reduces uh, stress on, on constrained resource. But think about it another way. If you're actually a customer, you're buying a software solution that tells you at what speed to set your wind turbine when the wind is blowing from a certain direction. That can actually result in a better outcome. Think about the salmon or the fish industry now. Historically, you would capture fish based on, on look and feel. We've gone from look and feel now to information and fact. If every fish has an RFID chip in it, you can assess the health of that fish remotely. You can look at previous batches of fishes. You can know when to harvest them optimally. And that's a really good example of how uh, a traditional industry, if you will, is actually being rethought and taken into the 21st century. I'll just add, add one extra comment. In in some ways, think about it like this. The, the, the sort of founding father, metaphorically, of the Future Trends Fund is Charles Darwin. And Darwin famously talks about how it's neither the strongest nor the most intelligent of species that survive and substitute species for companies here, but it's those companies that are most responsive to change. And that's what we're trying to exploit. That's a great analogy. And I suppose... Sticking with Darwin, to an extent, this is going to be a really tortured analogy, so apologies. But one trend that I've seen grow over the last year, two years, is the pet economy. And, and the pandemic led to that as well. I know a lot of people who got animals over that period for comfort, for other reasons. Um, how much of a viable long-term investment is that? And is there any worry that in a post-pandemic world, people will go, actually, I don't, I can't upkeep a dog. I can't do what I should be doing, so I'm going to give the, that dog to batty dogs and cats home for example yeah i mean it's a, it's a very fair question chris and i mean i have to put myself in the guilty camp if you will and uh we became owners of a puppy in uh, november last year so i've seen it both from a personal point of view and obviously wearing my hat as an investor as well and, and i guess really the way to think about it is and the approach we really take in general is really to try and think laterally about things so when you talk about the pet economy, what are the actual underlying trends that we're trying to exploit by virtue of the investments we make? And it's two things that are effectively going on. Number one, it's the digitalization of the pet industry. And number two, it is, result, it is trying to get better healthcare outcomes for pets. So I can elaborate a little bit. When we think about the structural case, it's really simple. Pets are great in the sense that um, revenue streams are very predictable. Uh, you have recurring revenues. Your life expectancy for a cat or a dog is going to be 10 to 15 years. So that's great uh, in terms of visibility. Now, what's effectively happening is think about how all of our lives have become more digital by default. Last May, we published a piece called Crossing the Digital Rubicon at the nadir of the pandemic. We've gone digital. It's going to be very hard to go back. So when you apply that to the pet economy, think about it like this. It's so much easier to purchase pet products online than it is to go physically to a pet shop or to a mainstream retailer. Obviously, as people um, are allocating more disposable income to pets, the scope to premiumize that industry is also very significant. If you think about how humans behave, we're very... Um, 
we've become much more conscious about our food and dietary choices. Uh, we're happy to pay more if we believe the product is more sustainable. It results in a better health outcome for us, will allow us to live longer. So why not apply all of that to pets as well? That's one of the drivers. The other factor that we thought was super interesting uh, was we started during the pandemic to uh, think quite a lot about telemedicine. And, this, and the idea behind telemedicine, again, it is about an efficient allocation of scarce resource. You as the patient, you as the doctor, actually allocate your time more efficiently. You're decentralizing a system. You're getting better healthcare outcomes. And you're also almost shifting the paradigm in health from being reactive to preemptive. And then we suddenly tried to think laterally. If you're doing that to humans, why can't you do that to pets as well? So really, that's the angle through which we're looking at the pet economy. And we think that given the life expectancy of animals, given the visibility, and given also the, the more sort of softer, more quantitative, ele sorry, qualitative elements, um, the idea of suddenly people abandoning their pets just because the world's going to go back to normal, it's even debatable whether we will go back to normal. Uh, we just don't see that happening at all. That's a very fair point. I mean, the, the, I was being um, perhaps unfair, a bit generalist in suggesting that people would do that. But I think what we've seen, and you mentioned there, crossing that digital Rubicon, we're in our offices at the moment, I think this is the first time or the second time I've been in in a long time, we are seeing a change in the way that people work. Are there trends around that as well that you're looking into? Are there been long-term structural shifts in, for example, the work from home movement? And have you managed to capitalise on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the best way I'd frame the response to that, Chris, is really that when you think about many of the future trends that we write about and invest in in our Future Trends Fund, uh, the runway ahead, the opportunity ahead, is still very significant. You and I and almost everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast today will have a smartphone in their pocket. That's a huge enabler. It's a step change relative to a generation ago. It's having a computer uh, that enables you to do anything anywhere. That's great. Globally, though, we're only at 50% penetration with smartphones. Long runway ahead. Uh, then to your specific question about, say, home working, um, it's very commonplace to talk about cloud computing, uh, workloads being in the cloud. Certainly if you go to Silicon Valley, it's old hat now. You know, people's eyes begin to glaze over if you talk about cloud. That was so sort of 2010 almost. But the reality is only about a quarter of all workloads have been moved into the cloud. Uh, that therefore, huge runway ahead. As more workloads get moved into the cloud from a practical point of view, it will become easier, safer people to work from home. That's a trend we can continue exploiting. And then when we sort of go further down the spectrum, looking at other trends, the same sort of argument applies. Long runway ahead, digital payment, only about 20% of all payments by volume globally are done digitally rather than in cash. Long runway to go there. We talked about cloud, sorry, we talked about wind in addition to cloud earlier on. With alternative energy, 10% penetration globally, less than probably. So again, long runway to head. And that's really what we're trying to do at Hepticon is identify these trends that are much more secular rather than cyclical in nature, and then really try and find the best businesses that benefit from them. If the runway ahead is long, the opportunity is even greater. You talked about having a dog or a pet, a puppy. You talked about having a smartphone. And I suppose that leads me on to the idea of things being tangible because a lot of these things that now people can understand and like we, we talked about they're working from home and people getting a better understanding of what tools you need to do that. But also the, the investment narratives, I guess, are 
if, and I'm putting words in your mouth, so apologies, but they're much easier to explain. Does that make your job easier as a portfolio manager working along trend lines because you realise that there might be a more receptive audience who are like, oh, I can understand this. Oh, I can see that my bills are a bit higher, so maybe I should be looking at renewable energy or I should be considering a, an electric vehicle. How much is the storytelling element playing into trends as well? I think that there's a really clear story element there, and I think it's probably human nature, particularly in times of uncertainty, that we all want tangible things uh, to, to sort of grab hold of, to hang on to. But the, the, the way I'd almost um, like to respond to your question is by trying to sort of take a step back. You know, we, we could spend the whole of this podcast or indeed in many of the meetings I do with investors, I say, look, we could spend the whole hour talking about um, future trends. We can talk about exciting themes, uh, you know, alternative food we haven't got onto at all yet, um, space tourism people have asked about, blockchain, uh, you know, the, the list is potentially indefinite. We wrote recently about the metaverse, uh, you know, that one can go in so many different directions. I think the big challenge is, yes, it's really easy to capture people's attention and their imagination. And we also, it's easy in inverted commas to identify themes. It's much harder to identify businesses that benefit from those themes. And it's even harder if you have a highly concentrated portfolio like we do to come up with those businesses that specifically meet the criteria we're looking for. Are there any areas that put you off? Are there any that you see people touting as trends or themes and you think that's not viable? Why are people getting so excited about that? Great question, Chris. And the simple answer is 100% yes. Um, my background, I sort of made, made a huge learning very early on in my career by being an analyst, uh, a sell-side equity research analyst, covering telecoms and internet companies in the very late 90s, very early 2000s. And it was a really exciting time to be cutting one's teeth, learning, learning the trade. And you saw everything go up, everything come down. And really, there were lots and lots of concept stories then. Uh, it's even, I think, you know, very humbling or a very good reference point. Go back to Amazon's uh, first shareholder letter that Jeff Bezos wrote in 97. He talks about Amazon building an ecosystem of partners. And the names he references are businesses like AltaVista, Excite, GeoCities, Lycos, all fallen by the wayside now. And Amazon, in some ways it was luck, some ways skill, but that they clearly survived, endured, become one of the biggest uh, companies in the world. And just by way of point of reference, AWS didn't even launch until 2004. Uh, so, you know, that was something that wasn't even being talked about. The cloud cloud was not even being talked about at the peak of um, hyperbole or hype. So that, that to take that through to 2021, the really important lesson is to say there are some themes that are too nascent, in our opinion, to be able to invest in today. Uh, it's unclear how the technology will develop. It's also unclear who will be the clear proven winners. And I would rather almost uh, wait until you've gone through the initial hype phase, things have settled down a bit, um, the industry is actually in a position where it's really generating tangible cash flow before we look to invest in it. And if you're going to ask the question, you know, where do we see possible hype today? Um, I, I alluded to it earlier on, but I would say space is one area, space exploration, much less about tourism, much more about a data exercise, uh, in my opinion. Uh, crypto and blockchain, again, really uncertain what's going to happen there. Yes, there's a strong case for decentralization, but it's super unclear how regulators and governments are going to create a viable framework. And even something like alternative protein, 
I'm a huge believer in that. And it, it's one of the most tangible examples of how do you allocate scarce resource efficiently? You need to come up with new solutions to feed the world. But the last time we looked, there were, our, I think the, the figure is 500 businesses globally uh, who are in startup phase across the alt protein space. And that could be anything from developing plant-based alternatives right through to, say, cultured meat in labs. And there's no way all of those companies will survive. Very few are public today. But even those that have almost got a notional first mover advantage, to, in our opinion, it's too early. Don't believe the hype. Well, I don't want to end on a down note of not believing the hype, I think, but using your point that a lot of these topics could go and take the full hour, one area we, we've touched upon it, we've talked about wind, you talked about it at the start with some of the trends have been climate change driven. I found with a lot of these podcasts, a lot of them come back to that sustainability question and the idea that well, the biggest trend or the biggest thing that within future thinking that we can't ignore is, is the way the world is going, the way that climate change is changing. So with that in mind, what trends can you follow in that area that will have a positive impact? And I mean, wind is the perfect example. Are there other areas or related areas that you think will have that positive force for good? Without a doubt, Chris, is the is the simple answer. And if you think about really the, the underlying or overarching uh, focus behind future trends, it, it is all about trying to follow those themes, invest in the best businesses that we will that will allow the world to become a better place. And really interestingly, when you look at the trends in which the Heptagon Future Trends Fund is invested and how they align with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, you will see a really good alignment. As you highlighted or hinted at, alternative energy, climate action is one really tangible example. When we're talking about food innovation, it's how do you alleviate poverty in the world? How do you allow people fair access to good quality food? And if I can call out maybe a couple of other out, uh, a couple of other examples, better healthcare outcomes, we invest in that. Uh, smarter educational outcomes, super interesting topic. We probably won't have time to talk about today. I was going to say we could go into that yes, in great detail as well. We're investing in better educational outcomes, payment solutions to allow better digital access. Uh, that the, the, there is no shortage of opportunity whatsoever. Fantastic. Alex, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Ninety one. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com.